Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. What's the big deal about spirit baptism? What's the big deal about spirit baptism? Stand just one more time and listen to what God's Word has to say about it. Standing, please. Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Holy Spirit, I ask you to be our helper tonight. I ask you to give us ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What's the big deal? What's the big deal about spirit baptism? Well, to discuss that properly, I think we, we need to have a clear definition of the phrase. Baptism, Greek word, baptizo. It means to immerse, submerge, be all in, totally committed. Baptizo is a burial of our own desires, our own self, to be totally, completely immersed in his plans and his purposes. Spirit baptism. Who's the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is not an it. We say spirit, but we should really say spear who. He is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not a hazardous material. I've heard people say things like this. Now, now be careful. Don't hang out too much with those people who are always talking about the the Holy Spirit. 
stay, keep, keep us, keep, keep, keep safe. Don't, don't get too wrapped up in this stuff. Holy Spirit is not a hazardous material. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. You know Jesus, you've heard of him. Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. <laughs> Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and we all like him. Holy Spirit is not a hazardous material. Thirdly, Holy Spirit is a person. And I could look at a lot of verses here, but I want to plow some new territory tonight. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Why can you grieve the Holy Spirit? You can grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person. I cannot grieve this coffee cup because this coffee cup is an inanimate object. It does not have feelings. People have feelings. The Holy Spirit is a person who has feelings. I could throw this coffee cup on the rug right now and I could grieve the janitor because there'd be coffee stains to pick up and mess, that I make a mess with. But the cup itself won't, couldn't care less because it's not a person, it's inanimate. Holy Spirit is a person. Fourthly, Holy Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira try to pretend they're really generous people. And in reality, they weren't being generous. And Peter says to them, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And at the end of his little speech, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is described in Scripture, lastly, as being like the wind. Like the wind. John. John chapter 3 and verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, we read it earlier. The Holy Spirit came in like a rushing wind. The Holy Spirit is this mysterious force that, that blows in and changes things and reshapes things. The Holy Spirit is wind. Now sometimes wind comes as a hurricane force and you know when the wind has been there, things are turned upside down, everything changes. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is that just that gentle, refreshing breeze that you hardly even 
notice. And here's the funny thing I've noticed about Christians. Christians are always in one or two camps, or seem to be in one or two camps. They like the Holy Spirit who's the gentle, quiet breeze. And then there's other Christians who like the Holy Spirit to come and hurricane force and turn everything upside down and change things in just a matter of minutes. And they refuse to recognize that sometimes when the Holy Spirit's just gently blowing, he's still with us and he's still working. And then there are the gentle Holy Spirit group who are pretty sure when the Holy Spirit shows up in a rushing, powerful way that we need to start rebuking the devil. You can't choose how the Holy Spirit's going to blow. You cannot choose how he's going to demonstrate himself. Today, if I had the power, I would have lessened the wind a little bit, but put up with it. So let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and, and I'm going to try to keep moving at a fairly good pace here. Baptism of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. Read it to you 10 minutes ago. Day of Pentecost had come. This is in Jerusalem. Everybody's in one place. This noise comes like a violent rushing wind, fills the whole house. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And these fiery tongues rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'll just point out a couple of things here. First of all, this happened in Jerusalem. And uh, I want you to notice third line from the bottom that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This wasn't something just for the ladies. It wasn't just something just for the guys. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 19. Now we're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're in Samaria. And the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, so they sent... Uh, the big guys down, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. See, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to have the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They began laying their hands on them. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Two quick, quick observations from this portion. There are obviously more than two things I could observe. But first observation is that this receiving the Holy Spirit, this having the Holy Spirit fall on them, was an experience subsequent to conversion. They'd already been baptized. They'd already heard the Word of God. 
So this experience of baptism was subsequent to, separate from their salvation experience. And the second thing I would point out is that it was obviously more than a nice tingly sensation that went up and down their spine. Why do I know it was more than a nice tingly sensation that went up and down their spine? Because there's a guy named Simon there who says, uh, I'll pay you money if you'll teach me how to do that. Now only a silly man would be willing to give money so uh, people could have a tingly sensation on their spine and nothing spectacular or noticeable wasn't happening. This was a visible, noticeable event. And uh, Simon was willing to pay money for it. Let's keep moving both in scripture and a little bit geographically here. Acts chapter 9, 17 and 18. This is uh, Saul's story on the road to Damascus. Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands upon him, uh, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you might regain sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. If Paul was going to live the Christian life, what did Paul need? Paul needed to receive the Holy Spirit. He needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now some people read that portion and say, yeah, and Paul got filled with the Holy Spirit, we believe, but pastor, you can't tell me that people who get filled with the Holy Spirit speak in tongues. Well, there's no reference here, and I'll give you that, to speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 9. But what is Paul's personal testimony about how he lived out his faith? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think it's verse number 18. Yes, it is. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul was a tongue speaker. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, spoke in tongues. Let's move along geographically a bit more to Acts chapter 10 and take you to Caesarea. Peter is preaching and the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. I long for the day when uh, there will be such a hunger for the Holy Spirit that I don't have to finish my sermon. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So two observations here. This gift, this receiving, this baptizo, is for not just Jews, it's for everyone. The Gentiles also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And how did the apostles know that they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How did they know? For they were hearing them, they were amazed, the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. One last trip through the book of Acts. And uh, now we take you to Ephesus. 
happened while Paul was at Corinth, or Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? See, that's normal Christianity. Christianity is not meant to be lived without the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then how were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Now, what had John said about his baptism? I'm going to baptize you with water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. A couple of observations again. First of all, these people were already disciples. Third line, that side of the screen. So we're talking about people who are already Christians. The apostles were concerned that they received the Holy Spirit. They said, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. Well, how were you baptized then? So this is talking about baptism and Holy Spirit. So these are disciples who, still Christians, subsequent to that Christian conversion experience, needed to enter into this immersion of the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they were speaking in tongues. So there's a quick walk through the book of Acts, and uh, let me say this out of kindness and, and personal conviction that the tent is pretty broad here at the neighborhood, and you don't have to agree with absolutely every one of our theological convictions to worship with us. Of this church are, are Pentecostal, when the day of Pentecost was come. And we have this kind of understanding I've just walked you through in the book of Acts about what that experience looks like. What we don't always understand is that this is really not a Pentecostal doctrine. And Pentecostals have created a problem here by trying to claim it as if it was our own doctrine. I want to take you for a little walk through, through church history here uh, to bring some things uh, to your, your knowledge. And first of all, I want to uh, talk about Menno Simons. 1496-1556, talking to the Mennonites, he said, you are plainly taught that Peter commanded that those only should be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit, who spoke with tongues and glorified God, which only pertains to the believing and not minor children. So they believed in a mature baptism, a baptism of adult believers. But their early days of Mennonitism here, and they weren't even called Mennonites then, their position on who could be baptized in water is much stricter than ours is. 
You can't even be baptized in water until what? You've received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. Now, I'm not making this up. That's Mano Simons. I'm uh, quoting there. Historian by the name of uh, Eric, next slide, Eric Sauer, uh, said this as he studied uh, Martin Luther. He said, all the spiritual gifts, including tongues, were ascribed to Martin Luther. Saskatchewan is a province that has a deep, rich spiritual heritage. I've pastored in the southern half of the province in a little place called Regina, and I have pastored here in uh, Saskatoon now for 18 years. Southern Saskatchewan is primarily influenced by Lutherans. Northern Saskatchewan, it's the Mennonites who settled in the north. So we've got Lutherans in the south, Mennonites in the north. Mennonites spoke in tongues. Lutherans, at least their founder, spoke in tongues. My family history, if you go back uh, three centuries, uh, we have a lot of Quakers in our, church, in our family line. President Hayes, Rutherford Hayes, uh, is a distant relative of ours, and he was a Quaker. Listen to what uh, Edward Burrow, uh, a, uh, a influential Quaker, wrote. Reporting on a meeting of the Society of Friends, Burrow wrote, at our meeting, we speak with new tongues as the Lord gave utterance and as his spirit led us. I say all that to kind of erase this false idea we have that nobody ever spoke in tongues after the book of Acts till Azusa Street or wherever at the beginning of the 20th century. Church history does not bear that to be true. It does, however, bear the truth out that very few uh, religious movements that start with a conviction that this baptism of the Holy Spirit, moving in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, is part of the package, often within four or five generations, they've kind of forgotten that part. But it's the, it's the history of so many uh, denominations and uh, and religious movements. Now, I uh, have on the platform here a book called Sim Simply Spirit-Filled, written by Dr. Andrew Gabriel. Some theologians I find really hard to read because I really don't like books where I have to use a dictionary to get through every page. This is not one of these kind of books. This book talks so clearly about what it means to live a spirit-filled life. We've ordered 40 copies of them. They're for sale for, to you tonight at the Information Center. Now, you'll read the price on the back of the book. We're selling it to you less than the price on the back of the book. You can pick up a copy for $20 at the Information Center. We're doing that because we want all of us to have an understanding in our lives about the importance of, 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Holy Spirit baptism is a big deal. Uh, buy it for 20 bucks. Highlight some places in it and then hand it off to a friend and get them to, to read it too. But Dr. Gabriel takes a little bit of a walk through church history in, in his book, Simply Spirit-Filled. Next slide. And uh, Vincent Sinan is quoted there uh, from page 13 in his book, The Holiness Pentecostal Tradition. He says, uh, they swooned away, talking about camp meetings and the Great Awakening in the early 1800s, they swooned away and lay for hours in the straw prepared for those smitten of the Lord, or they started suddenly to flee away and fell prostrate as if shot down by a sniper, or they shouted and talked in unknown tongues. So we have this false idea, I think most of us, that until wacky Pentecostals came around at the beginning of the 20th century, and we've become less wacky in time, till these wacky Pentecostals came along, church was always about sitting in nice straight rows and singing hymns in harmony, four-part harmony. And after they sang their hymns in four-part harmony, somebody gave a sermon, and then everybody said amen, and church was over. But the story of church history uh, does not uh, bear that out. One more uh, quote for you. Oh, is that my last quote? Okay. I guess I only had one. I must have been being nice to you and not wanted to keep you going all night. So three common words keep showing up when you're talking, and there's more than three, but I'm choosing three here. Three common words show up so often in this area of talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First word is fire. John didn't, John baptized in water. Jesus was coming to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. One of the biggest challenges for us as Christians is staying immersed in our faith, staying excited about, about the Lord and not growing cold. We're prairie people. We understand cold. We understand that if we don't keep our engine oil warm in the winter, we get up in the morning and there's no power there. You can't get anything happening because, because we haven't kept warmth. We haven't kept the fire going in the engine. And friends, it's the Holy Spirit who, who keeps the fire burning in our spirits. So fire is used. Second word that is used is power. Ye shall receive, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is, is come upon you. I learned how to drive in a 1964 Dodge. That 1964 Dodge had manual steering. <coughs> when you wanted to turn right. It was a lot of hard work. And then my dad bought a 1971 Plymouth 
and I could drive with my pinky. What was the difference? Power. Power. God never intended for our Christian life, our Christian ministry, and our Christian service to be like... Cut that done. We're not supposed to do this on our own strength. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and is the difference maker. And then there's this other word that kept showing up tongues. preach them, what's the big deal about the Holy Spirit last Sunday morning? And I didn't talk about tongues and some of the old-time Pentecostals were a little upset with their pastor. Because they think the baptism is about tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not really about tongues. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is about living a life that is totally immersed in God. In His presence, we live, we breathe, we move in Him. We buried ourselves and all we long for is Him. spend a bit of this week complaining to God because I've been doing this thing called ministry now for well into my fourth decade and late 70s and early 80s we'd talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and people would throng to the altar and say oh God Fill me, baptize me. And now you preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And well, let me go back and you pray for these people, and 50% of them, 75% of them, sometimes 100% of them would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And, and now we call people forward and Two come, three come, four come. What's different? God hasn't changed. I think, though, sometimes maybe our hearts have. And maybe we're not like the church was 25 years ago, like our parents were. totally devoted and deeply immersed in this desire to walk in the fullness of God. Their Bibles were open, they were prayerful, all they wanted was Him in their lives. And now, we're so immersed in our jobs, immersed in our televisions, 
immersed in our favorite sport teams, immersed in getting enough money saved so we can have a really good holiday. We get immersed in all kinds of things and really being totally immersed all in with God seems to be pretty secondary to us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about you learning how to speak in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming to God and say, I'm all in, Lord. I really want you. I really want you. It's an immersion in Him. An immersion in His presence. That said, I'd be unfair to you if I told you or left the impression that I thought tongues didn't matter. I'm grateful for that day as a, as a young boy, 10 years of age, when God came and filled me with the Holy Spirit. I wasn't seeking an experience, I was just praying. <laughs> has been a part of my life ever since. I just want to share quickly three things about, about tongues. See, tongues is yielding. Yielding your tongue to God is a huge step of yielding everything to God. And our tongue, James chapter 3, can be the hardest thing to surrender to God. Let not many of you become teachers. My brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, we all stumble in many ways. If any man does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so they'll obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue, small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. Is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. It's set on fire by hell, for every species of beasts and birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. Restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, raise our hands real high, sing loud, and with it we curse men been made in the likeness of God from the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing my brethren these things ought not to be this way does the fountain send out of the same opening both fresh and bitter water can a fig tree my brethren produce olives or a vine produce figs no nor can salt water produce fresh James devotes a whole chapter to to the tongue Part of being all in is, is yielding our tongue to God and saying, God, you do what you want. 
Second thing I would say about tongues is praying in tongues builds you up spiritually. And there's a connection here to power. You shall receive power. And we read this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. When you're speaking in tongues, you're building yourself up spiritually. It's a source of spiritual empowerment for us. There's a strength of spirit that comes. Jude chapter 20, Jude verse 20 talks about the same thing. Point number three. Next slide. I know I'm confusing you because I'm trying to hurry here. Praying in the Spirit lines our lives up with God's will. And I just caught this this week. I hope I'm not misinterpreting Scripture. I work really hard at trying not to. But Romans chapter 8, verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now this is talking in context, verse 26, to the Holy Spirit which prays through us. What's the Holy Spirit do? Searches our hearts, says uh, Drisner's a little off base here, he's a little off track here. Drisner's full of flesh here. But the Holy Spirit knows what the mind of the Spirit is and he recognizes where we're off track, searches our hearts. And then what's the Holy Spirit do? He intercedes for us according to the will of God. He prays for us. When we're praying in the Spirit, we're lining up our will with God's heart and God's desire for us. The power of the presence of God's Spirit. So where do we go from here? Everybody stand. We need to recognize Two things. The first one I want to I want to underline is Acts chapter one, verse eight. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Here's where we're messed up, and I got a really long lecture on this last week in Abbotsford when I sat down with the academic dean of a seminary, a Pentecostal seminary here in this country, and I actually wrote notes of what he said. Where'd it go? Here it is. I said, about two minutes into the conversation, I, I need to be writing this stuff down. So I, I wrote down what he said. He said, almost everybody who preaches on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, talks about witnesses as if it's a verb. You'll go out and say things. He says, it's not a verb, it's a noun. When you get immersed in the Spirit of God, you become, you are a witness. You're witnesses. We are collectively witnesses. It's not about saying something or doing something. The reality is when you just walk around full of the Holy Spirit, you're a witness. Brings life to people. Second thing I want to say is we need to ask and we need to bask. Ask and bask. Ask and bask. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that 
ask him. You ask, and then you bask. You just fall in love with his presence. You sit in his presence. You see, it's not about experiencing speaking in tongues. It's about basking in this immersion experience where you just want the Holy Spirit so bad in your life. I want you, Holy Spirit. I want to experience your fullness. No pressure here tonight, no condemnation. I've prayed for people and they've spoken in tongues within about 10 seconds. for people and two weeks later they emailed me and said I was just resting in the Lord in my bed last night and all of a sudden I was speaking in tongues ask and bask we seek the wrong thing we seek the sign we seek tongue speaking forget that forget it don't even think about it and just begin to bask in his presence say I want a life that is totally immersed in God's will and in God's ways. So Father, you see our hearts tonight. You see where everyone is, everyone who is here is. You understand their journeys. You understand that some of us haven't been as concerned as we should be about living lives that are all in, totally submerged in you and your ways. We don't want to live like that, Lord. We really want to live lives that are just basking in you. So stir our hearts, oh God. Stir our hearts. We know you enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306-800-5296. There you can fill out our digital connect card. Or if you want to give it a distance, or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city, text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about the Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.